The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia, and we are streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And we'll be right back with our first segment guest, uh, Dennis and Judy Cook, calling in from the beautiful state of Ohio, I think. And we'll be doing that right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on Boomer Generation Radio. Today's edition uh, continuingly brought to you by the good folks at Kendall who we just heard from. And we are um, very pleased to welcome to the microphones, I hope through the magic of electronics, uh, Dennis and Judy Cook. Uh, are you guys there? We are. Oh, <laughs> stereo. Okay, cool. How are things? How are you? Nice to talk to you. You're, you're, you're at the Kendall community in Oberlin, correct? Yes, yes. we are. Okay. So, listen. Um, We've we've talked uh, to several uh, people uh, over the course of these four years of Boomer Generation Radio, um, boomers who really have sought out their own unique niche in this world, and um, it's uh, I think you guys are are, are part of that um, let's call it celebrity group. Is it safe to call you two modern troubadours? Because uh, one of the things that you do are uh, is involved with. Uh, traveling music presentations dealing with, um, as I think you wrote to me, historically themed programs. What is that all about? Well, uh, the historically themed programs that I do are uh, programs about Mark Twain or programs about the Civil War. And I do those programs at libraries and museums and universities around this country. And And I also do programs of folk music uh, in this country and also in England. So I guess you could call us troubadours. So you guys, you do you do this together, right? You're a two-man, two-person act, correct? Yeah, sort of. Judy's mostly the singer and I'm mostly the roadie. Every now and then <laughs> she'll get me up on stage. But. Okay, so talk me, walk me through... Walk, walk me through one of these. Uh, first of all, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been doing this? These uh, gigs? I've been I've been singing all my life. Mm-hmm. I've been touring since the since uh, 1998. So this is my 20th year coming up, and I've been doing the historically themed programs since about 2005. Okay. So, um, so yeah. t- walk me through. Walk me through. Something that you'll go out to a library or a school and you'll do a musically themed program. What does that look like? What is it, you know, is it two hours? Is, let's say, let's talk about the Mark Twain thing. What, what do you do? What do you do? What is typically, it? typically it will be an hour long, mm-hmm. although I do have, uh, uh, versions that are 90 minutes. There are two 45 minute sets with a break in the middle. But what, what would happen is what people would see is they would see me standing in costume beside a table 
and beside a large screen, and the large screen would show uh, images of um, things relating to Mark Twain's life, as well as the choruses of the songs that I sing. And we would tell the story of Mark Twain's life with Dennis reading quotes from Mark Twain and me singing relevant songs from the period. And that would take an hour. So you do the same thing like for the Civil War, right? Well, for the Civil War, of course, it's not quotes from Mark Twain's life. It no, is, no. So. It is uh, excerpts from the Civil War letters of my own great-great-grandparents. Oh, wow. Uh, who were Wisconsin farmers. He was drafted at the age of 40. She kept the farm going with their two teenage sons. And I discovered those letters in 2002, which is what really started me uh, doing the historically-themed programs. What i got to ask you, what... Have you been doing this all your life? Uh, what what yes. motivated you to go on the road with these types of programs? Um, well, I've always sung, right. and I and I we found a, a group of friends who enjoy singing as a, as a social event. We would get together and and sing all evening, or if we were lucky, all weekend. <laughs> and people started at those gatherings started asking me to come sing at their coffee house, come sing at their festival. That started happening in, oh, around 1990. And uh, by 1998, I got up enough nerve uh, and, and self-confidence to call people up and ask them if I could come and sing, and then they give me money. Uh, because uh, that that takes a certain amount of... Uh, <laughs> so do you, do you write your own music, Judy? No, I don't. Uh, there are so many good songs out there. I sing mostly mostly traditional songs, um, Anglo-American, uh, either either songs from Britain or more often songs from America, either ones that started here as uh, lumberjack songs, songs from the Appalachian Mountains, um, uh, cowboy songs, or uh, or traditional British songs that found their way over here with the early settlers and grew up in uh, in this country with their own American accent, if you will. Yeah, Fascinating uh, stuff. Give me an example of one of the songs. Well, for instance, I think most people learned Barbary Allen when uh, when they were in um, when they were in school. Uh, but uh, there is a version of Barbary Allen that comes from the Kentucky mountains. And so people who are used to hearing the one that you learned in school, to hear the same story with a different tune, a uh, different modality, that's kind of fun. This, this music, um, Americana music or, uh, you know, it, this is – it's not really folk music, is it? It's really um, from – the origins of the agrarian history of the United States of America. Is it correct to call it folk music, or does it have a genre of its own? Richard, that is such an interesting question, because... Have you the, got a couple hours? <laughs> I no. Will, I, will be, <laughs> I will be very... Folk, folkies, as we call ourselves, can talk about this for hours and hours, but uh, basically, folk music, what is called folk music, has changed... Uh, over the years, it used to be that uh, folk music was the music from the agrarian history and and the 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 early parts of you know things that just grew 
up out of the people. But it has come to mean more what we call singer-songwriters. So now if you say folk music, you think, oh, this is somebody who writes their own songs or sings songs that are modern. And what used to be called folk music is now more called traditional song. Okay, so when we were going up in the good old days of the 60s and we would, <laughs> you know, from the Peter, Paul, and Mary or Pete Seeger or that, that you know, the old beatnik coffee house, late 50s, 60s era, uh, which be, which we knew as folk music, the, you know, even, yeah. mm-hmm. the, even the Burl Ives stuff, you know. Um, right. That wasn't a, as, a, as a distinct from what you're talking about a, of, of traditional music from from the beginnings of America, correct? That is that 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 Same was thing. that that was that stuff from early America, right? What you're describing. A lot of there. what they did then was take the traditional music and present it in a way that was. Uh, more palatable to audiences than what you would hear if you went into a pub in England and they might be singing the same song, but not necessarily with the same quality or with the <laughs> instrumental accompaniment. Yeah, and also accompanied by a pint of Guinness. Um, the, that uh, helps for the audience. No, it helps for everybody. So how does this tra- <laughs> how does this translate over to? Because I lived in and have some very very good friends been there many 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 times. Um, how does this translate if you're, you know, sitting in a pub at the the railway at Woodford Green? How does this translate this? Uh, your, okay. The, yeah. Uh, there, during the the '60s, um, at, when when folk music was really big, um, a lot of folk clubs grew up. They would meet in the function room of the pub uh, and uh, and and sing these old songs, and uh, folk clubs still exist. They still meet in the function room of the pub largely, and some of them just gather and have sing-arounds, and some of them hire guests either once a month or every week or every other month, that sort of thing. And it is those folk clubs that I sing at in England. I don't do my historically themed programs there as a rule. I just do a concert of uh, American song. Mm Mm-hmm. I know from from my time there and my friends, the musical um, tradition in England uh, in a lot of the communities is very strong, of which a lot of the English uh, musicians, comedians, almost like vaudeville, you know, came from. And that tradition is very, very strong in the countryside as well, as well as the, you know, the metropolitan, but especially in the countryside, especially in the countryside. Do you do this – your Civil War – Act. You ever take it down south to change it to the war between the states or the war of northern aggression, as I, I've heard it called? Huh. <laughs> That's interesting. I have I have given it um, mostly in what we would call the north. I, I did a program down in North Carolina. My sister lives down there, and I try to do um, I try to do a balanced program, but. It still has a few too many Yankee songs for the for the South, and uh, I mean, any would that was a quote. No, I no no. Listen, I understand that very. I had kids who and, lived in the South for a couple of years, and they're. Um, I understand what you just said very very well. But I think even even more important uh, for why I do more things in the North is that the the. Um, 
the people in the South enjoy more having uh, instrumental accompaniment to their songs. They want to have a banjo, a guitar, a mandolin, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I do unaccompanied singing, and uh, that just doesn't go down as well there as it does in the North. Is there a revival of this traditional music, or has it never really gone away? And there's always been an audience. Uh, you know, is is you know, is there something? Well, just is there a revival of this tra- so-called traditional music right now? Well, I I think it's never gone away. Actually, uh, it had a peak in the sort of late '60s, early '70s, where the traditional music also overlapped with popular music of the day. Uh, But there's still people, I mean, we had a gathering last night at our cottage of about a dozen people sitting around and singing songs. And Uh, mostly, it was mostly students. So where where does somebody go to, uh, is there radio outlets across the country, um, or is it geographically determined? There's no... Yeah, go, where do you, where does someone go if they really want to listen to traditional music? Well, I we happen to have a radio program uh-huh. <laughs> called called Glad for Trad, and it airs on WOBC Oberlin College and, <laughs> and Community, community radio. radio. Nice segue. Yeah. <laughs> we do that on Wednesday afternoons, and three to four. PM. Okay, this is the Oberlin College Station, correct? Mm-hmm. And it streams. Uh, so, you know, these days I'm not sure how much radio is local to anywhere anymore because of the streaming. Uh, and we have we find we have listeners in about 15 states and five counties of England and Scotland. Cool. I want to let's talk about this right after this message. We want to break uh, so that our friends down the street at Kendall can um, you'll understand that because you're in a Kendall community, I think. Um, we are. Yes. So we're we'll, at other friends' house using their landline. Good. Good for them. <laughs> Speaking of friends, here's a letter from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, coming to you from WWDBAM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. A reminder that these shows are archived as podcasts on my website, JewishSacredAging.com, and you can reach us at uh, Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com or like the program at the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. We're with Dennis and Judy Cook, modern-day troubadours and uh, radio personalities in the Midwest, uh, broadcasting a weekly show dealing with traditional American music on the Oberlin College Station. So talk to me about the show. Um, it streams on the on their net, and do you just play music, or I would assume that you walk people through some of the history of songs and the whys and the wherefores. 
that's exactly correct. As we phrase it, uh, it's Anglo-American music with a bit of mild erudition. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, And some uh, a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) Right. We we pre-record our shows. Okay. uh, With a fair amount of research that goes into it. I think it takes us probably about four hours to produce one show. Uh, And the songs come largely from our CD collection, which we've amassed of very traditional music and on up into contemporary music over the last uh, however many years. Have you guys done your own CDs? Have you recorded CDs? Yeah, we have four CDs of Judy's music, and I've done, uh, we used to have a studio when we lived in Maryland, and I've done about 18 commercial CDs. Okay, so if somebody is interested in traditional music how and they want to listen not only to this show, but perhaps, um, um, you know, the CD, how, how do they do that? Well, our show is archived on Judy's website. Which Judy is? Judycook.net. Say again, say again. It's judycook.net. Oh, it's easy. Yep. <laughs> I always think of it as, think of Judy Cook with a hairnet. Hey, and <laughs> fishnet, please. And you can get the CDs on, you know, order them from? You can order them from her website, or they're also on uh, CD, CD Baby. Baby. C- CD what? CD Baby. CD, is that for just teeny tiny CDs, or...? No, it's it's a uh, website that uh, previews and handles a whole lot of different kinds of music, but a lot of folk music is out there. And I think Judy songs are also available on Amazon and yeah, the usual, the usual iTunes and but, the usual. Is but, but uh, is, is is a bluegrass music traditional American music, or is that another genre of itself? I'd say it's sort of both. It's an outgrowth of traditional music, but has become its own particular genre. Uh, a lot of a lot of bluegrass uh, ends up dealing with, you know, I I lost my car, I lost my wife, I lost my girlfriend. I thought that was country music. Well, there's a lot of that too. Bluegrass is faster. No. <laughs> um, and, and anyway, it's it's it it is it is sort of um, uh, off to one side. So it's 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 it, they they have the the same roots, but but have become different things. I would imagine but, that if you in your program that you trace, um, you could actually trace American history, the history of the United States of America through this traditional music. Is that is that true? I mean, from cert- the colonial yeah, period, you could. You certainly could. I mean, on our program, we play a lot of, of British music as well. Uh, we don't we don't uh, confine it to American uh, music, but we we have a as I, as Dennis said, we have a theme each week, and it might be, for instance, I believe the one coming up is Rivers, and um, and and so tomorrow's show. that's tomorrow's show, and it will have. Um, Lots of songs about rivers in America, but also uh, rivers elsewhere. So did this music, you know, it's fascinating, the, the cultural parallels, because I think most people don't really 
may not associated may not associate the history and the growth of the United States of America through uh, what you're calling traditional music. So, and and none of this obviously is recorded, but you you have archival music from the colonial period that you've studied, and and have you sung any of that? I certainly have. Um, I did uh, a series of of programs uh, that I called American Artist Series. So I took uh, I took American artists and I did uh, traditional songs from their lifetime. So John Copley was one of those. So he was, you know, that's that's certainly from the uh, 18th century. And 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 uh, there are traditional songs from every era, and you could trace the history of, uh, of, of America um, through the songs. Is, I mean, is, is traditional music that you, that you, that you uh, specialize in, is it written down? Like, is there like sheet music for it, or is this all organic from, from, from people's experience? It's certainly one of the both. things about it, both. It, it has, it has a, an oral component. It's, it is in the oral tradition, passed from singer to singer. But uh, particularly in the latter half of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, and going on today, um, there were collectors who said, this music's going to die out, let's, let's collect it and write it down. And they did that. They recorded it, they wrote it down, they transcribed it. There are, there are books of traditional music, mm. traditional songs collected from many of the states uh, of, of the Union, but also from Britain and other places. Does the Library of Congress, some, something just triggered in my, my brain, that mm-hmm. the Library of Congress has this humongously large collection of all this? Is that yes, true? Yes, they do. Yes, there is a folk archives at the Library of Congress, and they go back to Edison wax cylinders oh, wow. of recordings of traditional music. Or recordings of music, and I guess the, sort of make a point that traditional music or all music was written by somebody right. at some time, and sometimes it got written down, and there were a lot of broadside musics and things written in the 1700, 1800s. Uh, and a lot of it was just passed on. I mean, my personal definition of folk music is music that folks sing. Mm-hmm. So if you hear a song and you're a singer and you learn that song, it's folk music. If you hear a song and say, eh. <laughs> or or if you, there, it might be a song that you love, but um, but nobody except the person who wrote it could ever sing it. That's not folk music. So let me ask you a question before we start running out of time for this segment. I, I'm a my personal music of choice is is jazz. So mm-hmm. there there's a link, isn't there? Is there not in the evolution of American music between the type of music that you specialize in coming up from folks? I mean, from the from the from the masses to what eventually became in the 20th century jazz. Have you looked at that? I have not, but I, I what little I know uh, indicates that yeah, because I mean jazz is is uh, something that is also growing organically from the folk, is it not? Mm. 
it tends to be, I think, lar- largely more instrumental, but not necessarily. Right. And it's take a take a traditional tune and improvise around it in and throw in some of the more modern chords and it sort of moves very quickly into jazz well this is this is this is talking off the top of our heads on on something that we haven't studied and since that's your particular thing what can you say about it yeah nice try um <laughs> okay richard <laughs> you know, nice, nice move. For, that's the, that's uh, that's the old hockey move, dump and chase. You know, you're like, <laughs> I am not a musicologist, nor the son of a musicologist. But my little, my limited knowledge of it is, there's a sense that the, a lot of this American music has all evolved together, sort of like organically. Uh, you know, various geographic parts of the parts of the country, and and. Your, the, the, this, the, the traditional music, have you looked at other cultures as well? I mean, I know you've done stuff with Great Britain and English uh, music, but... Just a, a little bit in that a lot of the old traditional ballads that we find in England have Scandinavian or Middle Eastern roots. If you go back to tales that were told there, a lot of those have become ballads that were sung. But we haven't really studied other cultures. Do you, um, this just also occurred to me. Do you ever get out to uh, Scottsdale, Phoenix? No, haven't. Okay, th- I, I, this is because of what you do. Uh, I was introduced by some very, very good friends of mine, um, uh, Gil and Harriet Rosen, a couple of years ago and a couple of trips to Scottsdale of this museum called the Music Instrument Museum. It's called the MIM mm. out there. If you ever get a chance, to, you'd probably just jump all over it. It's an almost, <laughs> one of the most amazing museums I've ever been to. Life, but it really examines the development and history of folk mu- music through instruments and the various types of instruments that have evolved around the world and the music then that evolved from it. That's why I'm, you know, about the different cultures and the various uh-huh. types of traditional music. Um, the Smithsonian in Washington also has quite a collection and interest in musical history. And there's a musical instrument museum in Minnesota as well. That's oh, I didn't know that. Where? Oh, yeah. I, um, the can't, can't, name the, can't name the town, but it's, it's southeastern uh, uh, Minnesota, I believe. Talk to me then um, a little bit about especially... Um, as we get a little older and we age, the power of music. And I raise this because in several interviews that we've had on the show of people who have been dealing with Alzheimer's, they keep mentioning that um, the element of the brain that processes music is one of, one of, if not the last element of the brain to basically, you know, shut down. Um, have you experienced, you know, what is the power of this? Well, I mean, I can speak from my personal experience that my mother, who had uh, a lot of cognitive difficulty in her last years, um, when she didn't even know who I was, if I sang one of the family songs that we would sing, she could come in on the chorus. 
and she always got pleasure out of hearing the old songs um, when when not much else was left. So I would I, I would uh, say that that's very true what you've said. We also have a, a friend in the D.C. area who's teaching teachers to use music in education, and they find that if you include music music in the sense of rhythm and melody along with the, the words of what you're trying to teach, be it math, science, history, it sticks a whole lot better. Uh, so let me just ask you real fast again to just if people want to contact the show or listen to your show, uh, walk me through the name, <coughs> excuse me, the name of the show. The, the 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 name of the show is Glad for Trad. It's G L A D and then the number the numeral four and T R A D all all one word. The um, if they want to listen to it streamed live, it's W O B C dot org, as in W Oberlin College. Yeah, W O B C dot org, uh, and they can listen live there, or they can hear the most recent show archived on judycook.net and that's j u d y c o o k .net and they can also buy my CDs and books and and uh contact me through uh that website um Dennis and sure. and, and and one of these little things that you mentioned and we we have uh, we have some play we can play with some time here too uh, totally in a different direction. You're heavily involved in in computers, correct? That's correct. And, and how did, does that relate to the music? Or doesn't it? <laughs> uh, other than a number of years ago, we were sort of curious how many songs Judy knew to be able to sing from memory, and I created a database so that we could log them and keep track of things and what songs she sings at various clubs and all. Uh, that's probably the most overlap, uh, though music is mathematical. You know, there's a lot of intuitive structure and math in music. So a lot of people who are mathematicians or scientists are also very involved in music. Wow. Uh, from my standpoint, I mean, I designed radars and computers for 30 years before they were willing to pay me not to do it anymore. <laughs> be careful what you say. Somebody may be listening. <laughs> well, that's been... 20 years ago now. Well, you never know. You never know. You never know. So right. listen. So now, I, now I do it as a hobby. Good for you. Uh, Dennis and Judy Cook, um, fascinating. Thank you very, very much for your time and your expertise. Continued good luck uh, and success with the, with the radio show, but also with the traveling and the troubadours. So you are modern troubadours uh, spreading this traditional music around the world. So thank you for being our guest here on our first segment of Boomer Generation Radio. I really appreciate it. Take care of yourself. Have a good day. Thanks, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And to bridge our uh, little segments from segment one from to segment two, here's a little flashback to uh, probably somewhere in the mid-60s. You may remember this. Uh, and the title is very apropos, uh, especially given the last week. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Mm -hmm. 
ask how much I need you Must I explain I need you, oh my darling Like roses need rain You ask how long I'll love you Welcome to the second segment of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDBAM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And we are, through again, the magic of technology, uh, blurry pleased, I hope, to welcome to the microphone Reverend Brian McCaffrey. Brian, are you there? I am. Great, great, great. So we want to talk about your project um, that is uh, specifically uh, you're in charge of. You're coordinating the National Forum on Spirituality and Aging uh, and the website uh, that associates that, uh, nafosa.org. I guess no, the dot in, dot .info. Dot .info. Okay. I'm looking at it on .org, so uh, <laughs> that's cool. Uh. What is it, uh, Brian? What is what is the National Forum on Spirituality and Aging? Well, it's a, really an opportunity to think out loud regarding an aging church. Um, it's inviting people to talk about what's working and not working in ministry to, with, by, and for people in the second half of life. And this is a church-based organization? Um it is it is um, mostly um but it's interface mm-hmm. um, it is the idea is really that a lot of times uh 
churches continue to do ministry the way they were when we were 20, you know, 20, 30, 40. And, and I got to believe that, you know, when you bump into your own mortality, mm-hmm. the questions start changing. Uh, a- amen. Yeah. So and, you, you, you started this, um, how many years ago? What, what's the genesis of this? Is it brand new? Some couple of years well, old? In, it's a couple years old. Um, although the genesis was that, uh, when I was, I've retired now myself and moved back to St. Paul, Minnesota. And at the time I was in upstate New York, uh, we had the Northeast Forum on Spirituality and Aging. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a regional kind of uh, a thing that uh, I started about 10 years ago um, with, uh, with a grant that uh, permitted it to be, it was mostly focused on the Lutherans, but I found that the Methodists were doing about the same thing. And uh, so we joined together up in that area. And then I realized that every denomination seems to be battling against its own infrastructure, um, that uh, it, it's a little bit like there's a few out there in the wilderness who have an idea and, and get it, and, and, but the main institutions don't seem to understand. So Methodists... The Methodist Church is the only denomina- mainline denomination that has a, a person who's hired to work with older adult ministries. So th- you're saying that despite all the ge- the demographic realities in the United States of America and um, the Pew Foundation, I think it was in July or August, published this rather extensive uh, report about the age breakdowns of the major denominations in the United States of America, many of whom, the majority of whom, were well over 50 years of age as the average age of their right. denomination. But you're still, but but there's still a tremendous amount of denial. What you're saying upon the part of the institutional uh, uh, religious community would that be a correct statement? That would be a very correct statement. And why? And- and, and why? I well, mean, I was going to say the next piece of it is that there's a denial among the people themselves. Nobody wants we. Um, I changed from talking about older adult ministry to talking about second half of life ministry uh, because nobody wants to be identified as older. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, particularly now, we got boomers who are coming in who are still feeling like. They're in the the prime, um, but the reality is that this is this is a, a a new stage of life for all of them. Well, given the longevity, I mean, this is what we do in my work on Jewish sacred aging. But the the reality of um, longevity, longevity has has really produced a huge amount of uh, new questions. Uh, one of the things that we're finding, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to ask you if you're finding it in your work with the Forum on Spirituality and Aging, and that is a an uptick 
in the desire on the part of people to create uh, rituals, new rituals and prayers and blessings that speak to new life stages, not necessarily through the institution, but sometimes either writing them themselves or going to their clergy person and saying, I'm about to face this. I want you to write something with me or for me. Have you started to experience that? Not so much, but at the same time, yes, because I believe that this is an incredibly creative time and that that's part of what um, you probably know Gene Cohen's work that mm-hmm. the one part of our our uh, instead of that that continues to grow is that piece of creativity in us and that uh, for me spirituality and creativity are generally just hand-in-hand linked in such a way that you can't separate them. So you write about spirituality, and indeed, uh, your program is the Forum on Spirituality and Aging, and so this is a tough word. How do you define spirituality? Oh, my goodness. For me, it is that which... I guess that which connects us. What does that mean? Con- well, this is this is what I'm going to say. It links link, our link to life, our link to our even ourselves, to others, to our higher power. Um, that that connective tissue that somehow or other. Um, makes us aware of our being something greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. But and, um, and you do not necessarily have to experience that, or do you, within an institutional setting? No. No. Uh, I, I would say you do not need to. Um, religion is one expression of it, mm-hmm. is, is one way that we uh, live out that, uh, and name that, that connectiveness. But for many, the church doesn't seem to be talking, the, uh, dealing with the questions that, that people are dealing with, and so they find their spirituality outside of uh, religious tradition. We're finding that around around the world. I mean, at least in the United States, on all the denom- many of the denominations, certainly in the Jewish community, more and more baby boomers really are saying, "I need I need spiritual sustenance, but I'm not getting it from the pew. I'm going to yeah. find it on my own." So, in your experience in the Christian community, are are you seeing more of um, uh, shopping for various types of faith experiences? I know. Oh, you know yeah. So talk you know, to there's, there's no there's no such thing anymore as I, I guess um, I'm Lutheran, mm-hmm. and so that tells you next to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it tells you. Um, in in some respects, I would identify myself as a, a Zen Quaker Lutheran. A Zen so, Quaker Lutheran. A Zen Quaker Lutheran. Z- a uh, Zachwell. <laughs> You could so, you start your own denomination today. There we go. So, but but the truth is, I think everybody um, has t- 
takes a little bit of a shopping cart and and finds oh this over here feeds me mm-hmm. and this over here feeds me and uh, and we put it together so that um, uh, you can't make any assumptions as to what uh, what a person's personal belief is. One of the things you know about aging, with every year, we become more unique. Ah, that's it. When we come back from this spot from Kendall, I, I, I have to push you on that. That's a great statement. With every year we age, we become more unique. We'll explore that right after this message from our friends uh, down the street at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our second segment on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We're with uh, Reverend Brian McCaffrey from St. Paul, the uh, founder, the director of the National Forum on Spirituality and Aging, uh, the website nafosa.info. Um, and just as we were going out to our Kendall spot, uh, Brian, you, you, you came up with this very, very interesting phrase, with every year that we age, we become more unique. What do you mean by that? Well, with every year... Who we are is made up of experience and personality and uh, and and interpretation. And every year we get something more that we experience, which gets pushed through our interpretation, and it shapes us so that we're slightly different than we were before and we're slightly different than anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the, the old uh, snow uh, snowflake. <laughs> right. Well, it's also channeling little Martin Buber who had a, in, uh, yeah. you know, who, who's, who wrote several passages about the uniqueness and there's, in our tradition, there's Midrash about the coin, Midrash about the, the stamp of God and the uniqueness of every individual and I think the, but the way you are phrasing it, the idea of celebrating, and I think that's one of the things about the reality of, of accepting our own aging is the celebration of our own uniqueness. Um, and that's a, that's a gift. It, it, it can be a gift. The, that One of the things that I've, I've come to believe is that it takes I, – I got into this because I, I worked on a, a women's cancer unit uh, as an – a young intern, mm-hmm. and uh, and I found these elder women who were going through oh such woe. I mean, you would uh, you would think it would be enough to break any camel's back and to shatter any face, and they would tell about uh, the loss of life and and. Uh, loved ones and and 
And then when I would be leaving, they'd say, but you know, Pastor, through it all, God has been good. Mm -hmm. And that was for me, as a young, a younger person, I'd go, are you kidding? <laughs> um, it was really, for me, the beginning of recognizing that I think it takes a lifetime to appreciate what the faith has to offer to us. You know, you raise an issue that's it's come up on the show quite a lot when we talk to, well, varieties of different types of people from clergy to people who work in various fields dealing with older adults, and that's this concept of gratitude. How important, yeah. how important is this sense of gratitude as we age? Oh, I think it's essential to finding the wellness or the finding um, to become a vessel that passes on shalom. Yes. Uh, I think gratitude is, is essential. Um, the more we're able to kind of count our own blessings and, and recognize them, the more sense of peace we have ourselves and the more somebody would want to be in our presence. You... One of the issues that always comes up, and, and, I, and I have to ask you this because of your work, on, you know, on the forum uh, for S National Forum on Spirituality and Aging. Um, how do we, how do we deal with loss? Is it possible to turn loss into any type of a positive? If if we live long enough, I have been told by many people, if we live long enough. Every some every person's going to be experiencing loss. How do how do you do that? How do yeah, you... every person's going to experience it. I I think the one one of the other gifts of a long life is the big picture. What do you mean? Um, seeing life in all of its chapters of the ups and downs and twists and turns. And to be able to say, you know, oh, I see God's been there and God's been there and, and uh, oh, look, God's been over here, too. Mm -hmm. and, and that perspective, I think, is the gift in, in the midst of loss um, that the... the reflective re reflect we all want to grow not only older but wiser mm -hmm. and i think aging just comes with taking another breath wisdom comes with being able to reflect upon what's what's happened i don't think we see god in the midst of things i, I think that we generally catch um like like uh Excuse me, I've forgotten. I think it was Moses who got to see the tail end of God. Right, right. Sort of like in flashes and, and bursts. Yeah. And and so that is what gives us hope for the future. And I think it is what gives us the ability to to keep going. Is there a, that, is, is there a moment in, in your experience in working with older adults and on the forum 
that people shift from the from a sense of acquisition of material things to acquisition of spiritual things? And if so, oh. when, when does that take place? When we bump into our own mortality. Uh-huh. I think most often um, what we sometimes have called midlife crisis, um, but the truth is it can happen at any age. Um, when when we are no longer dealing with um, building, uh, what I guess I, I believe that we we have a spirituality for two halves of life. The first spirituality is about building um, our connectedness to the culture, and the second half is our inner life. And our inner life is when we start asking those questions from a deeper perspective. Uh, the same questions we may have asked earlier about who am I, what should I be doing, and 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 things like that. Where where's my meaning? Mm -hmm. And um, I I always love Viktor Frankl's life shakes us and says, "What meaning are you going to give to me?" Right. A man's search for meaning, right? Yeah. The National Forum on Spirituality and Aging, we only have about uh, three minutes left in this segment. Um, if somebody wants to be involved, is, uh, is this a membership organization? Is this, Can anybody just tie into it? Uh, just uh... Anybody can just tie right into it. Um, the, the truth is I, I uh, will apologize that I still kind of speak Christian more than I do interfaith, although my intention is to be interfaith. That's okay. And uh, the language um, is really congregational or parish or uh, synagogue to say um, this organization is mostly talking about how do we bring it to our institutions. Right. So do you sponsor programs to to uh, encourage individuals to bring this message into their uh, religious institution, or is it a, more of a forum for ideas? Right now it's more of a forum of ideas um, who is young enough that we haven't been uh, – we have no funding. We have no nothing other than right now our ability to to share with each other. So that we know we're not alone. Mm -hmm. So that um, we can take the best practices from each other and also uh, share with what's not been working and hope that we get some some good ideas from each other. Well, I see on the website. I mean, you you say that that you're encouraging people to think out and talk out about issues around aging and best practices, what's working, and and also to share resources um, amongst people who are involved in this work around the country. And so right. that's a fairly uh, ambitious agenda anyway. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of great to, when somebody um, from a small town in upstate New York uh, connects with somebody down in Kansas who says, oh, boy, this has just been working gangbusters, and say, oh, do you mind if I try that? Mm -hmm. And the and, uh, next time we get together and say, yeah, that's thanks, that was a great idea. 
So we have about a minute left in this segment, Brian. Um, your best advice for people who now baby boomers as we begin to march uh, through this third stage of life. What's your best uh, piece of advice for us? Hang in with God. Um, take a take a, another look. I I Jacob when he wrestled with the angel mm-hmm. was I won't let go until you bless me. Right. And the wonderful thing is wrestling with God to the point where you no longer need to wrestle, and and you just become a companion together on the on the walk so brian mccaffrey the chair of the national forum on spirituality and aging uh i want to thank you very much for giving us your time and your insights continued good luck brian on your work and um i thank you very much for giving us your time here on today's edition of boomer generation radio take care of yourself and uh to all of you we thank you again for joining us here on today's uh, show we look forward to seeing you next week Stay safe, stay safe. If I can speak English, it would be great. Stay safe. See you next week on another edition of Boomer Generation Radio.